I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, the meaning of Christmas. Who kicked the Christ out of Christmas? Where does religion stand in Australia today? Mr Hinch, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, and as they say in Hawaii, Meli Kaliki Maka. Merry Christmas in Hawaii. Well, in Italy they say Buon Natale. Buon, buon Natale. Buon Natale and Felice Anno Nove, which means uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> well, actually, Bing Crosby, for those of you old enough to remember Bing Crosby, he actually sang Meli Kaliki Maka. Uh, made a big hit song out of it, you know. Right. It was just good. So you, you, you've spent a bit of time in Hawaii. Oh, I love Hawaii. Well. Over the Christmas period. Yes, I, think I, used, in a I used to go there. You were in a hurricane there once. I was day. there. There was a hur- hurricane Eniki. Uh, Bob Rogers and I went over there. We arrived on the day of the hurricane when everybody's trying to get out. And uh, I Not knowing or just... We, we heard it was a bit of a storm. But, yeah. You know, um, we flew on the last flight. And as we landed, people were trying to get out. I remember I picked up a brand new Cadillac rental car. Uh, drove had to drive about an hour to where my rental house was and my own house was, in my own house in those days. Yeah, um, and we parked this brand new car, probably about twenty thirty k kilometres on it. Parked in, the, in, in outside the garage rather than put inside the garage, and it was destroyed. <laughs> Hail came from everywhere, you know. Trees were knocked over. We were, it was just extraordinary. Um, I I got broken ribs. A friend of mine in a, down the street lost an eye. I mean, it was how nobody died. I don't know. The winds were nearly three hundred kilometres an hour, miles per hour. It was just. It, it, I know. I know. It blew the um, the military tracker. It blew their, their their gauge. It couldn't cope with how strong the winds were. How did you get broken ribs? Off oh, falling over. I fell over. Yeah. I, I, I look. I managed, luckily when I bought the house um, in Kauai, the guy was going on about how it's hurricane proof and hurricane proof and this and this. And I thought, who cares? You know, because apparently my house had blown away in a previous hurricane about twenty years before. So he's very impressed with this, and so was I eventually because it had. I had metal shutters. I had everything bolted down. Mine was the only house that stood when three houses around me were blown away. And I happened to look out through the shutters at one stage and I saw the wall from the roof of the wall from across the, the paddock blow blow away. And I'd bumped into shouted out to people like young couple who were staying there the night before when we arrived. And I thought maybe maybe they're still there. So I, I bent over and raced over to their house. And stupidly how you do, I still like use the door. I mean, there's no bloody roof and no wall, but I still open the door. Yeah, but, and things were being blown oh, around. Right. I mean, and you tree, could have been hit by oh, something. Oh, yeah, trees were lying side on. I mean, I had a about an eight-inch um, marine nail embedded in my front door, and the nearest boat was probably 5Ks from our place. Anyway, I went inside the house and started looking for them. They weren't there, but smartly and luckily, when I got down downstairs, they'd hidden in a downstairs bathroom with a mattress right, over their heads. Yeah, yeah, so I managed yeah. to get them out to my place. They thought I was part of some rescue squad. They didn't realise <laughs> until we got back to my place that it was just a neighbour dropping in. So, What was your house like there? Just describe it for us. Oh, it was, a beautiful, it was a beautiful stone, stone house. Uh, 
and it was it was it was two story well the bottom story was sort of like a garage and stuff so it was above ground but it was right on the golf course at princeton and somebody said why do you live on a golf course and you don't really play golf and i said well it can never be built out i've got like a 350 acre backyard and some other bugger cuts the lawn every day. So why wouldn't I live on a golf course? <laughs> How long did you own it for? Uh, oh, about 10 years. And, and you went every Christmas? You every, every, every year. As soon as I got off air from, three, from Channel 7, yeah. I'd go on a plane that night. And I'd only take... They always thought I was either a drug dealer or a Mormon missionary because I'd take a briefcase and a suit wearing a suit and I'd say, how long are you here for? I was six weeks. <laughs> and that's all I, only, only luck as I had because I, I had, you know, jeans and Hawaiian shirts in a cupboard in my house. You know, and, and when you were there, like, what did you do? What was life oh, like? I, I, I wrote a lot. I was, I was writing books back then. Uh, Jackie loved it. We, we came, she came for one weekend once and changed her clothes about four times to make it look like she'd been there longer. And uh, it was while we were looking at buying a place and... To, to my discredit, probably, it's probably why I went broke. Not, not only did I promise I wouldn't buy anything that weekend, when she got home to Australia, I'd bought two places. I'd bought a house <laughs> and an apartment down the road because I couldn't decide between the two, so I bought them both um, and, and had to sell them eventually when I was, went through some tough times. But it was just beautiful. To be, and I still have a very close affinity to Kauai. Um, and the people, what are they like? Oh, just wonderful people. The Hawaiian people are just so gentle and so lovely. And I, I got so enamoured with Hawaii that um, once in my early days there, uh, I took some stones off the beach and brought them back to, to Australia to add to my, I have a stone collection, right? Some going back years. And the next year I took them back and put them back on the beach because there's a thing in Hawaii you don't take anything away. It's, it's not spiritual. I'm not a spiritual person, but which leads us on to why we're doing this program today. Yeah, well, you know, we're talking about Christmas, Christmas. and and religion, and uh, you know, Australia right now with with religion. I mean, when you were growing up <coughs> uh, in New Zealand, for example, you went to church every Sunday, did you? No, oh, well, I, I did because I was in the choir. You did. I was, a, but my family didn't. Yeah. Um, but your but sister, you said uh, yes, yes, in a previous podcast, my sister podcast, is very quite religious. Is religious. Yes, and and Jackie Weaver is very religious. Um, I knew I wasn't. I mean, I know the old joke about uh, who kicked the Christ out of Christmas, right? But um, I knew I wasn't when I was about twelve, and I'd been in the choir for a couple of years, church choir, and there was time in the Anglican Church, Church of England, to take communion. And to be confirmed, so you had to be have a confirmation. Then you were eligible to take communion. You know the the the, the, the biscuit and the, and the and the wine. And I refused. And my father said, "Why?" I said, "I don't believe it." And I remember my dad saying to me, "Well, look, you know, just do it for Nana, my grandmother. I mean, she was very religious." He said, "You can't not take communion. I mean, your brother did, your sister did. You can't not do it." And I said, "I'm not going to do it." I was fairly independent even then. I said, "I don't believe," and so I'm not well, going to do it. Well, you're only twelve, <laughs> but I guess you're old enough to think about things. But do, do you remember what it was that made you come to that conclusion? Oh, well, we got read Bible stories, and I thought they were fiction. And somebody said, have you, have you read the whole Bible? I said, no, I don't read fiction. <laughs> and, so, so, and that's probably set me on the path. Um, when I got very sick and had a transplant, people said, oh, I bet you turned to God and got religion then. I said, no, I'm not one of those people who... I, mean, I don't believe there is a God. Um, 
uh, I believe in evolution. Um, and, and if there were a God, you think he'd have, have his Christians behave a lot better than many of them do. Evolution was the moment, I think, where uh, you know one of the first nails was driven in the uh, in the the coffin of uh, religion, I, I guess, because once you realise the Earth is not six thousand years old, as they say in the no. Bible, uh, well, it's I, actually. I, I've been reading, doing some research on some work I'm doing at the moment. That algae, which um, plays a very important part in our life, has been around for. Millions, maybe billions of years. Well, the beginnings of life, yeah. I think uh, they suspect, came from... From the ocean. Algae, algae yeah, in yeah. the ocean, which then, through evolution, has developed into what we have now, you know, the, the, the amazing array of life we have around the world. But look, don't get me, don't get me wrong about this. I mean, I, to some ways, I, even though I'm, I'm sceptical, uh, I admire people who are religious. They do find their religion helps them. In times of grief, uh, but you, I do. You said it did with your sister my when sister, she, when yes, she lost her, her son. Her, her teenage son was shot dead in an accident, and and I found that she told me later on that, yeah, it, that the religion helped them. But I, I get uncomfortable at funerals, and even when I'm reading about it, and people say, "Oh, but we'll all be together one day up there in heaven." My my daughter is looking down on me, or my son's looking down on me. We'll be together. Well, if we're all going to be together up there, what about the people you hate? What about the person who killed you? What about the person who maybe shot you, you know, or beat you to death? So we're all going to be in this big happy family? It, to me, it doesn't make sense. But I will say, things like Christmas, I celebrate Christmas. I think it's a wonderful time for people with religion or without to get together, to cherish your family, to share things, to share gifts and, uh, and love and friendliness. The sad thing is that, um, as you would well know, Many times Christmas causes the biggest family fights you've ever seen. People somehow blow up around the lunch or Christmas dinner table and, and feuds from way back get uh, re reinvented or, or re reworked and fight them away. I, I was just thinking we were talking about going to do this, going to do this today. That one year, you speak to my sister Barbara and the year her son was killed, Jackie and my stepson Dylan and I decided we should go back to New Zealand for that Christmas. It was the first Christmas the family would be spent uh, since Rodney's death. And it doesn't matter what the details were, but there was... I had the biggest blow-up with my other sister and the dinner was at her house and we just had this blow-up about... On the day. On the day, on Christmas Day. We were there waiting to have Christmas lunch and it was delayed and delayed and we... And in the end, I said to Jackie, I said... There's only one way to solve this. I'm going to drive back and pick up our luggage from where I was staying with my parents. Drove back, got Jackie and my stepson got Dylan. And in the middle of the afternoon, we cancelled lunch, just drove from New Plymouth to Wellington, three and a half hours. Probably wasn't, probably another car on the road. We found a hotel, we checked into a hotel in Wellington. And for Christmas dinner, we emptied the minibar. <laughs> but uh, there, it is a time when, when family feuds often come to the surface well because a lot of families don't see each other during the year mm, they a lot. they only see each other on christmas day because there's this thing about getting the families yeah. together so nothing gets resolved a year's worth of stewing and anger <laughs> and whatever <laughs> comes together over the 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 lunch table at the at christmas time when you think back of uh, in your life darren and all of the christmases that you've had are there any that you'd particularly cherish yeah, yeah, Hawaiian ones because 
uh, we followed with a dear friend of ours, Nancy, with a dear friend of ours. She'd come around on Christmas Eve and open a bottle of champagne and we'd have Christmas Eve. And we followed the European tradition that we opened our Christmas presents on Christmas Eve, not Christmas Day. Uh, whereas when I was growing up, all the kids got up at five o'clock in the morning and dragged your mum and dad out of bed, dad with a hangover from Christmas Eve. And, and I remember as I got older, mum would say, you're getting up like everybody else done because that's what we had to do. But I like the European way, and I still do it if I've got with friends, of opening your presents on, uh, on Christmas Eve and not Christmas Day. New York Christmases, did you ever have any of those? Oh, yeah, but I'd often come back to Australia from New York for Christmas. Uh, I had a deal with Qantas uh, where I would um, write a monthly column for their in-flight magazine. And in return, they'd give me two first-class air tickets to New York to Sydney, which wasn't rubbish, and... Uh, and there we were. Because uh, New York in winter time is is quite special, well, isn't it? It's, it? it's it's lovely. The first when you see the first snow, and snow in New York, and walking down Fifth Avenue with all the snow and all that, and the ho ho hos, all the Father Christmases out there, um, ringing their bells. By about March, you're getting a bit worn, a bit browned off with the uh, the, the slushy snow and muck yeah. and shit on the floor. The, what what the got parts. me was uh, we, we were there early December one year and the, the, the smoke that comes up from the pavement, you know, through these grills, mm. it's like a like a gassy, fumy sort of yes, thing. It, but it looks yeah. magnificent. Yeah. And yeah. Bu- bu- people with bugles, you know, trumpets playing Christmas tunes on corners near Wall Street, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, a Christmas in New York is magical. And all the like here, you know, the stores go full full on with all the window dressing and dabby da and stuff like that. So that is lovely. But by I said by February March, you get a bit sick of the the snow. Um, what about the Hinch family? You know your original family with your mum, your dad, and your your your, your, grandparents. your grandparents and stuff. What, what what are your memories of those sort of? Oh yeah, we, we, well for some weird reason, um, in the Hinch family, we we had it because. Ham was very rare. You couldn't afford ham during the year, so you'd, somebody would give you would you'd get a Christmas ham from somewhere, and the local baker would actually cook it for you. Uh, but for some reason, the Hinch family ham was always cooked before Christmas and served cold on Christmas Day. I, I don't know why that was done. I mean, you know, a, a hot, crust, crunchy, crust, crusty ham is brilliant, but then you see them on the TV ads and you drool. But for some reason, we always had our ham cooked before Christmas and stuck in the fridge. And even in recent years over here, I would go down and buy myself a, a big ham from South Melbourne Market and picked up one of my mother's, one of my mother's old uh, habits is that you'd buy a beautiful ham and you'd wrap it You'd, 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 as you peel it off and cut, cut away, you'd wrap it in a wet tea towel and put it back in the fridge. And, and it kept it moist for, for several weeks until you'd say, this is the 47th way to eat ham. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. Uh, we never had turkey. We couldn't afford and didn't have it in New Zealand. And I actually, in New York, we'd, I, you'd have Christmas turkey. I found turkey highly overrated, usually overcooked, and the drumsticks very dry. I actually like turkey. The only thing I don't like is duck. Duck's really? got this gamey taste to it that I don't like. But I turkey, adore, I like the I stuffing. I've eaten some for a long time. I adore duck. Uh, I have, in the past, actually cooked Peking duck from scratch. And I would actually make the popin, which is the Chinese pancake, 
and I'd make them and I, I'd, I'd cook Peking duck. Now, you've been to Beijing, haven't you? Yes, I have, yeah. did, you, did you go to the Beijing Hotel? It was an old yes, English did. hotel near Tiananmen Square there. Yeah, we did. Right up the top, there's a restaurant, and that's where they apparently invented you know, Peking, Peking duck. duck. Well, yeah. we, had, we went to a, 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 supposedly the best Peking duck restaurant in Peking or in Beijing, and believe it or not, the Peking duck was not as good as what Gilbert Lau used to serve at the Flower Drum. <laughs> and the reason I found out was that they get most of their ducks from the New Territories, which are pretty, and the ducks are pretty scrawny. In Australia, the ducks are big and robust Chunky. and fat, right, so and meaty. Right. So, so it's understandably that, that Gilbert Lau's Flower Drum Peking duck was better than, than theirs. But done with hoisin sauce and spring onion. I never put the, uh, the sweet sauce on it, just hoisin and... It's beautiful. Right. Uh, while we're talking about Christmas in New York, what was New Year's Eve like in New York? Did you go to Times Square when uh, the yeah, ball yeah, yeah. drops? Well, and... well, my office, the Sydney Morning Herald office, was in Times Square. So I'd invite friends to have a Christmas party uh, on on our fifth floor office overlooking the Allied Tower where the... Uh, the, the balloon would come down and there'd be thousands of people, thousands of people in, the, in Times Square. But I remember once... One year, uh, I had friends visiting and colleagues and friends, and I've climbed up into my window on the fifth floor to, to adjust the Venetian blind or something, and people below, this is New York, spotted me and started screaming in unison, jump, 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 jump. <laughs> so, so much for the Christmas spirit. <laughs> uh, you'd, you'd have thousands and thousands of people. It wouldn't be like that now, I guess, because of COVID, um, yeah, mean, although even, what I've seen on television in the last couple of years, uh, they they have performers, you know, oh, on yeah, the stage yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. I remember Neil Diamond uh, singing there one year just before they announced that he had Parkinson's disease. Yeah, so, uh, um, yeah but even this year, you're going to find it. I don't think you see many people there on New Year's Eve, and also the Biden inauguration, uh, which I don't think Trump will go to. Um, I don't think you see many people there. They, they're going to try and do it as a visual affair, which is a shame in one way, but, you know, we've cancelled the city to Hobart. They're cancelling this, they're cancelling that. So it's understandable that they would... Uh, and Biden's been very um, very moral about this. When, during the campaign, he, he had very few rallies, very few people, you know. Uh, you mentioned Sydney Hobart, and that brings us to Christmas here in Australia and, and what it's like, because it's hot, you know, different to the Christmas yeah. in, in Europe and, and New York. We still have European meals, though, you know, <laughs> like we eat hot stuff on a hot day. Yeah. Uh, our family, when we had the banana plantation, we used to spend Christmas Day at the beach on a particular bank at a place oh. called Mooney Beach. It was magnificent. Um uh, but Melbourne also has its traditions. Of course, the the night before Christmas, there's carols by candlelight. Carols by candlelight, yeah. Uh, That's been going forever, hasn't it? Well, yes, I think since the 30s. And Norman Banks, a great old 3 3AW. You, you ever have any dealings with Norman? Uh, not much. No, I, I felt he was a blustery old bugger. Um, and I was living in Sydney when he was a star in Melbourne, so we, our paths rarely crossed. So you got carols by candlelight and Dennis Walter, because... My son Damien and I, we always say it's not Christmas until two things happen. Okay. Uh, Dennis Walter sings mm -hmm. at Carols by Candlelight, and Michael James tweets his fame, infamous tweet now about Marina Pryor. Mm, Marina Pryor. And he has a picture of Marina and saying, Marina Pryor and Marina <laughs> After. Uh, Marina Pryor, Marina After. What a lot of people don't know is that 
there's an in joke there. Um, uh, which I didn't know. No, which, all I knew was that it was a joke on her name. No, it was the fact that um, uh, Marina's had a bit of work done. Uh, <laughs> one could say on various parts of her body, and so that's why he has the Marina Pryor Marina after. Because I did the first ever interview with Marina Pryor when I was way back in my early days at Three AW, and she was a, a, a young busker in uh, in Burke Street. And uh, so I think the Herald Sun may have interviewed her. Well, I, I remember she had this the, the front page photo because she she'd won some role in she, some she, big she, stage yeah, she, play. She, she, she actually, uh, well, I'm not sure of the time frame here, but I know that uh, when I talked to her, that she actually flew to Hawaii and got a role in Camelot, uh, the musical, which um, Richard Harris was going to appear in, in Melbourne. Uh, and and uh, she flew to... They flew to Hawaii, to, this young busker, they flew to Hawaii to meet him. And it was very memorable because uh, she told me in quite graphic detail how Richard Harris tried to create his own Camelot by chasing her around a hotel room trying to get into her knickers. Um, <laughs> it didn't happen. It, it, it Marina, had, it didn't, I know it didn't happen. Okay, Marina, Marina kept her, <laughs> her dignity, if, if we can say that. Um, Italians uh, celebrate... Christmas uh, vividly and with a lot of passion and a lot of food and, a lot of and, food, and yeah. very religious too. I mean, St Peter's Basilica, when uh, the Pope does his midnight mass, mm. is chock-a-block full. You've been to St Peter's Basilica? Right? I have, yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did you think when you first went there? Uh, well, I, it, was, it was not long after Laszlo Toth had smashed the Pieta. And the, the nose, yeah, he, he and, knocked and it I, off. Um, and I remember that... Uh, the Australian papers, when they ran the story about how Laszlo Toth had smashed the Pieta, wrote, Hungarian-born Laszlo Toth, right? You know, look, he's not one of ours. If he'd won a gold medal, they wouldn't mention <laughs> he was Hungarian-born. that's right. Yeah, very Australian. But Midnight Mass, um, Jackie, as I said, was religious. And one year she convinced me to go to a Midnight Mass at a church in Richmond, where she knew... Up the, on the hill there, St. Yeah, Ignatius there, she, she Jack Dyer's She knew the rector there, Father Freddie. And Father Freddie and her were good friends. And so she convinced me to go to midnight mass. So I'm there. And Freddie gets there and gets up in the pulpit and welcomes people and says, oh, before I, before I uh, go any further... I'd just like to point out to Mr. Hinch down there that that crack in the ceiling was there before he walked in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Very funny. Um, but the funny thing was, I we stayed at, at the rectory and uh, his mother was staying there at the time. This is a story against myself. Um, and in the middle of the night, in a strange house, uh, apparently I, by mistake, walked into her bedroom thinking it was the bathroom. I, I did. I did make it into the bathroom. I hasten to add. Next morning, Freddie and his mum and Jackie were making fun of me for mistaking her bedroom for the for the men's room. But at the time, I said, "I don't know where." And I'm not religious. At the time, I said to Freddie, "He said, how come that?'" I said, "Freddie, there are many rooms in the house of the Lord." <laughs> <laughs> Back to St Peter's uh, Basilica. We, we. I mean, I guess everyone's just stunned by the size of the place and the, the history of yeah. the place. And, and, and when you see the, the ceiling paintings, you know, by uh, Leonardo da Vinci, wasn't it? Yeah, and I mean, Michelangelo. Michelangelo, paint, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Painted yeah. the Sistine Chapel. The Sistine Chapel. Yeah. So to stand in the Sistine Chapel and see what 
Michelangelo did there is just extraordinary. And Even also, if you're not religious, I mean, you... the history of the place too. I mean, uh, I, I think we're up to uh, 365 popes. Wow. So, if you go on uh, Wikipedia, it numbers them all. You know, from Peter the first one all the way through. And there's supposedly a female pope once, wasn't there? Pope Joan. Hmm? Pope Joan. Pope Joan. Yeah. yeah. But the other thing, the question about this: the pope was infallible, right? Supposedly. Yes. Yeah. Well, he said now, he was, yes. Now, now ex-Pope Benedict, is he still infallible or did he come fallible the day he retired? Isn't he the first pope to retire? No, he's the second. Is he? There, there was one that retired in the 1300s. And just back to Pope Joan. <laughs> we, we never knew, though, why he retired. Oh, well, he said he wasn't well, but he's lived another seven or eight That's years right. beyond that. Uh, just back well, to God Pope has Joan. Not, hasn't called him. Um, uh, pope Joan. Apparently they have a chair now at the Vatican to make sure that every pope is no longer female, you oh. know. So the chair's got a, a little gap underneath the seat, so... And somebody touches the papal... <laughs> comes up from behind and, and makes sure that uh, uh, it's, it's male and not female. Where did I get the name Pope Clementine from? Uh, well, that's that's that that's a male name too, Pope Is it? Clementine. Oh, I thought, that was a, I yeah. thought she was the female one. But yeah. How did she become a female? I must go and read this up. Well, uh, I think she dressed as a man, and uh, she may even have been pregnant during it, because because popes popes have had children, fathered children. Yeah. No, uh, I saw a television series once, which was quite um quite shocking about, about yeah yeah because really it, it it was it was a position of power mm. more than religion we're talking four or five hundred years ago yeah. and when it ruled italy because uh, it was the, you know, all of italy was run by the pope then it was really a political position mm. and families jockeyed with each other the medicis and other families yeah, especially the Medici, yeah, yeah, yeah to 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 have their family member uh, in the chair. In the chair, because obviously with that came lots of goodies that the Catholic Church could well, distribute. Well, was that story that the, uh, that the Pope who died in office after one month uh, a few years ago, that he actually was knocked off because uh, he was very progressive. Mm. And well, Vatican George Pell did, referred to that just recently. Did he really? Yeah. Well, because he's saying that uh, there was interference in his court case mm. here in Australia, he claims, because he was trying to Clean reform up the, 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 the Vatican finances. And he said it's happened in the past. And he referred to that. Uh, well, I wish, I wish Pell had paid as much attention to cleaning up the sexual proclivities of priests as much as he did the Vatican finances. <laughs> uh, we had a thing on Twitter the other day. Somebody chastised me saying... Back off, Hinch. Pell was found innocent. Bill Pell was innocent. And I said, no, 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 no. He was found not guilty on legal grounds by the High Court. By the High Court. And he yeah. wasn't found innocent at all. Um, we go to the beach here in Australia. Darren, are you a beach used type to be, of person? Yeah, not much. Um, mainly because with um, my uh, having had an organ transplant and the pills I take, I'm not allowed to be exposed to the sun. Because uh, you, you're very susceptible to melanomas, and I do what I call the mole patrol. I have myself checked for, for defects every three months, and I've had them removed from my forehead, my nose, my back, whatever, from day years ago when you went surfing and swimming without putting on um, uh, protection, without the slip, slop, slap. Um, so I'm not really, not anymore. I mean, for Christmas, I'll be spending it in Sydney, I hope. <laughs> By the time this gets to air, maybe this will, will have um, gone. But I've I've rented an Airbnb at Queenscliff, which is 
near Manly, which is regarded as a hotspot, a northern regards the northern beach. So I may get to Sydney uh, for Christmas. I may not. But if I do, I may be there for two weeks, three weeks, or a month. Who knows? Well, you might even be there until there's a vaccine. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm in, well, I'm in the front of the queue for a vaccine because of my age and and my transplant. Apparently, uh, the I, other would, thing, I wouldn't want it before nurses and doctors get it first. Yeah. the The other thing that's traditional here in Melbourne over Christmas is the Boxing Day test. Test, match. yeah. Um, you've been I've to been, the, been to those, yeah, because we had. Uh, Tatiana Gregorieva, I used to manage her. She was the. She had the long legs, the, didn't the she? The long legged uh, pole vaulter who got a silver medal at the City Olympics. And Tatiana, and I took Tatiana there once and she made an appearance at the Boxing Day test uh, back years ago. Um, so, yeah, so. It, and that is, is, but how many people are going to be there this year? Maybe 30,000, maybe. I 40, think they put a limit of 30,000. 30, they, they may increase, but then, see, what's happened with the Sydney outbreaks. Things are changing daily. Yeah, things are changing daily. Um, I I remember the 1974 Boxing Day test mm. because you remember that uh, Cyclone Tracy wiped out Darwin, Darwin. Mm. on Christmas Eve, and uh, we had Christmas, and then we went straight to play England in that series. Lily and Thompson and Ian Chapel and Greg Chapel, they were all playing. And there were 77,000 people at the MCG and uh, they carried this great big tarpaulin inside the fence, right around the outside of the and fence, people threw and money. people threw money over. Yeah, I remember that. For yeah. uh, people who'd Darwin. suffered in Cyclone Yeah, they Tracy. did, did they? Yeah. A, yeah. But Australians have always been so um, so generous when it comes to charity functions, you know. The, the, the Good Friday appeal and things like that, you know. Um, I, I've not always supported well I have supported it but I've really been niggled about the Good Friday appeal because I was at Channel 7 and uh, they don't invite me anymore because of some of my criticisms but I think 11, 12, 13 million dollars shouldn't just go to one hospital they just say okay we're giving 5 million dollars to this country hospital this year or you're spread it around Victoria because all Victorians contribute to it and people raise money all year uh, and and I know I've said this before they manipulate the the donations they know what's in the in the kitty. So, if they've had hundred thousand dollars donated back in raised back in March, they'll hold that back and throw it in near the end to encourage more bring, donations. Bring it to, up to, to bring uh, it up a bit. So. Yeah. But it, look, I, it's, I, it's it's wonderful. But I was going back. Victorians and Australians in general donate like you like no other country I know in the world. Well, we're very lucky to be living in a country uh, like Australia, uh, particularly when we look at what's happening around the world now and how well Australia has handled it. And uh, we're lucky to be able to enjoy the fruits that the country has, particularly at Christmas. Look at at 300,000 Americans won't share Christmas with their loved ones this year because they've died. 300,000. I'll be over that by the time this goes to air. 300,000 people have died in, in one country. And you, I saw uh, Boris Johnson the other day announcing that Christmas virtually is bar humbug, not going to happen in Britain, and he was nearly in tears. He, re- he looked very emotional as he's announcing what the Tier 3, Tier 4 restrictions would be. Well, Mr Hinch, enjoy yeah. your Christmas ham in Sydney this yeah. year. Merry yes. Christmas to you. I'll have some have some New Zealand white bait and, as well. And uh, as I said to start, Meli Kalikimaka. Bon Natale, Angela. <laughs> yes.